We come to our Bible reading this morning, which is Acts chapter 12, verses 1 to 24. So starting at verse 1, under a heading of Peter's miraculous escape from prison. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, Suddenly, the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognised Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be an angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand to them to be quiet, and described how the Lord had brought, them, brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. 
In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. He had been quarrelling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, This is the voice of a god, not of man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. Lord, we thank you for this, your word. We thank you for all it tells us. We pray for Nick now as he comes, Lord, that as he explains what he wants to give to us from yourself, Lord, we may learn more about you and live closer with you. Amen. Thanks, John. So you might want to have uh, Acts open in front of you. And what we've been doing, we've been going through the book of Acts and we've been looking at what happens when people pray in Acts. So we've essentially been going through the book and looking at what every time somebody prays and we see what happens, basically. And that's why we've not put our prayer time in quite its usual place. We'd usually pray uh, for a while before the sermon, but we're going to pray afterwards because usually there's something to apply out of the passage. Well, I think out of today's passage, that passage that we've read, there's some big questions. What does prayer really do? Can speech, can talk of ours before God really affect concrete situations? And if it can, how how then should one pray? That's the first question. Another massive question arises, does the Lord care about evil regimes? Does he care about the Herods of this world? And what should Christians in those countries do? So North Korea, Somalia, Yemen, Eritrea, Libya, the top five most dangerous places to live as a Christian, according to Open Doors UK this year. That's the second question. And I guess the third one arises out of when you look what's happening in those countries. How come Christians in those countries seem perhaps freer or clearer about what they believe and what they need to do because of what they believe and the life or death importance of trusting Christ than we do in the West? And yet we, by contrast, who are apparently free, seem so trapped and so tongue-tied. So three big questions we're going to try and, and get through this morning. So let's have a brief look at the story. Um, we're not going to look at it in too much detail. 
it speaks for itself. It has its amusing moments, like the idea that Peter needed to be slapped by an angel. I don't know what he slapped him with, but he struck him on the side um, to wake him up, and he only really comes to when he's kind of like he's walked the length of the street. Then there's the prayer meeting that's um, so shocked that its prayer has been answered. Um, now they don't believe Peter's arrived, and then there's the servant girl who's so excited um, that she fails to actually open the door and let him in. But we mustn't let those you know, amusing details, and I'm sure Luke's um, you know, deliberately includes them, but don't let them mask the seriousness um, of the story in front of us. Read right at the time that it was about this time King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church intending to persecute them. So Herod Agrippa, he's the grandson of Herod the Great, he's had James to death put by the sword. If that were today, it, that would be the equivalent of something that would have happened um, under Islamic State or something that had happened under the Taliban. We would be sobered and we would be absolutely horrified. Rightly so. And then Herod, he sees that this pleases um, the, the Jews. It's what we're told. It pleases them, so he thinks, well, I'll, I'll have Peter as well then. You know, let's have a job lot. Let's just sweep the leaders off the street. And he, Peter's picked up in the run-up to Passover. He's imprisoned. Four squads of soldiers. One squad for each watch of the night. And... In each squad, there's four soldiers. There are two, and Peter is chained between them. And then there's, they, they, you see on the way out, they passed one and then the other. There's a, it sounds like there's an inner guard and there's an outer guard. So it sounds like Herod is using the Roman military. And he's intending a public trial and an execution, no doubt, after the festival, after the Passover is over. What does the church do? Well, it's obvious, isn't it? They gather to pray. It's the next slide, thanks. They gather at the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark. He's this young man who will travel with Paul and Barnabas just in the next chapter, in chapter 13 of Acts. Presumably she's a widow. She has property of her own anyway. And her patronage and her resources are fundamental to this young church. She's got a place that's big enough for them to gather. Luke continues to honour and notice the women who are involved. What do they do? They gather and they pray earnestly. Well, you would. Well, I mean, I, mean, I hope you would. You know, if John had been arrested um, and he was about to be executed, I, I, hope to, I hope we would gather and we would pray earnestly. But it begs a question. What does it take to bring us together to pray earnestly, fervently even. You have another chance tonight. It's prayer and praise. What is troubling you, what is troubling us so much that we would gather together and, and pray about it with one mind? I find myself, in, even in the last few weeks, just increasingly troubled by the state of our country. Our country is going to have struggles, along with other parts of the world, that will affect us all, but as it always does, it will affect the poor the most. And one thing I learned from Ernie, who's one of our previous 
elders was that governments in democracies, they simply follow the people. So whilst we might bewail our politicians, they just reflect society at large. So we live in a country where people are happy to love liars. If they're at least a little bit charismatic or if they're larger than life. So maybe tonight we could pray for the lostness of our country. The moral lostness as well as the spiritual lostness of our country. Where people cannot tell right from wrong even in the simplest of things. And I have a theory, which I've mentioned before, that one of the reasons we struggle to get passionate about prayer is we can't get past our loved lost or our lost loved, the people that we love the most who are not found by Christ, are not found in Christ. And therefore, they're lost and they're uh, facing God's wrath without trusting Christ. And it's a thing we hardly dare think about and when we pray about it, it brings us great angst. And so sometimes I think just, we just kind of shut down to it. But I think then the effect of that is quite often that we, we shut down to other things that should agonize us in prayer. So I suggest a remedy to that is that we just keep praying for our loved lost every time we meet, wherever we come together for prayer. Let's pray for the people we love who are, are lost because I suggest they might be kind of a sticking point in us, getting really passionate and bringing our real agonies to the Lord in prayer. But there's an important question that, that arises from the passage, going back to the passage. Why do they gather together at all? Why do they gather together at all? Why do they not just put out a, a WhatsApp prayer? I mean, I know they can't, but you know what I mean. They put out a message and just say, could you all pray about this tonight? And the answer is here in Matthew 18, isn't it? Jesus says, um, I tell you that if two, on, two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Why? For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. When we gather in the name of Christ, and that's part of the point of why we gather here this morning, isn't it? Because there is a promise that Christ will be present in a special way. When we gather together, of course Christ is present with us. We can go into our room and, and, and pray the Lord's Prayer, and we are encouraged to do so. But when we gather, we're told that, that Christ will be there with us. So that when we agree in prayer, it will be done. That's what Jesus says. There's a promise that gathered prayer is efficient and effective in a way that lonely prayer isn't. Is that right? That's what it seems to say, isn't it? So if we're going to be effective in prayer, and we are praying that we double in size, we're being brave, we're being bold, but it's just a prayer aim, then we need to gather, we need to pray it. And so in this situation, we see that the, the, the Lord answers. 
he sends an angel, um, as next slide, and, and rescues Peter. Peter is bound by presumably iron chains, and they fall off, and an iron door opens. Presumably that's the work of the angel, not told. But the bottom line is that spirit is more powerful than iron. Hebrews 1, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? God is spirit, we are, we are told. And his angels are spirits. And, and yet they, spirit is more powerful than anything. So I've put on the, uh, the notes, the, the, um, the, the sermon notes, Question, can, can God as spirit only change spiritual things? And the answer is, of course not. God is om, omni-powerful. So what about this prayer meeting then that, that's going on at the time? It's going on at the eve of the trial. We read in, in verse 5, um, the church was earnestly praying to God for him. It's the day before he's come, uh, due to come to trial. What are they praying for? Are they praying for, for Peter to be rescued, presumably? Or maybe they've lost hope that Peter's going to be set free, and maybe they've started praying that he won't be found guilty. Something will happen the following day. So when he appears, they're shocked. And they think it's his, his angel. So that might be a view that he... Uh, there was a Jewish view that a guardian angel looked like the person they were guarding. Or it might be, again, that somebody's uh, spirit, again, a Jewish view that somebody's spirit stayed around for three or four days after they died. And they think this is his spirit. But two things seem to arise out of this. One is, doesn't it always seem to please the Lord to take things to the last moment? And that's so often the way. What is going on? Why does, it, why does it seem that the Lord would always take things to the last moment? Well, I think there's two things. I think one thing we must learn is that we must be persistent in prayer. And in a sense, never stop praying those things that really concern us. Because if we stop, then we'll never know that the prayer was unanswered because God didn't want to answer or simply because we stopped praying. So one thing I think we take away from that is we have to be persistent in prayer. Because otherwise we'll just don't know that prayer was unanswered because we stopped praying and we stopped too soon. And I think as faith is stretched, it becomes stronger. And it's a difficult truth to live with. It's like kneading bread. I think the more that, you know, bread is pummeled, if I remember Paul Hollywood correctly, um, you pummel the bread and you stretch it out and, it, and the the, what is it? Chains of gluten? Somebody tell me. There must be a baker somewhere. Thank you. Um, becomes stronger. Becomes tougher as it gets pummeled and it gets stretched. I think it's like that with faith. It gets stronger the more it's exercised. If you never have to exercise faith, you never get stronger. So again, a little bit like a muscle. The more you use it, um, the, the stronger it is. So the, the Lord is, I think, simply giving you opportunity for some faith faith exercise but I think a second thing is that perhaps we can get too 
rational and two specific in prayer. So we want our unsaved family members to come to know the Lord. We might pray all kinds of things for them. We might pray um, that they, they, they meet a Christian who will stand in their path and tell them about Jesus. And that would be the normal method that the Lord would use. Or we might pray that they would go to church. And, uh, and that's right, there's nothing wrong with that. But we don't have to find the answers to our own prayers. And we have to remember um, that the Lord can do, as Paul says, immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And I think that's what happens here. The Lord has done more than the church can actually imagine. He sent an angel. Peter has been set free. And he's walked um, straight out of the prison and down the street. So it's okay to pray the headline. Lord, please save my brother, my sister, my son, my daughter. Please save them. And let the Lord decide how he's going to do that. The other big, so the other big question. So that's the first question. What does prayer do? Prayer really changes things. The simple act of talking to God about something, asking him for something, can make real concrete changes in the real world. But the second thing is what about world leaders? What about Herod? What's the Lord's response to Herod? And I would suggest that the Lord's response is initially nothing. He doesn't strike Herod down for killing his people. He strikes Herod down for claiming to be God. You get a separate account. It's on the back of the Bible studies uh, for midweek, if you want it, in the, in the works of Josephus, um, a Jewish historian. So it gives us a bit more detail. Herod went up to Caesarea, as we, as we read in Acts 12. And on one of the days, they were holding a, a festival, and he was wearing a garment made wholly of silver, and the early morning sun caught this garment in a particularly dazzling kind of way. And the people started saying, he's a god. We thought of him as a man until now, but he's actually a god. And Herod doesn't debunk this. And for that, we read, he was struck down by an angel. And we read from Josephus, he had violent stomach pains and he dies five days later. So I think it's intriguing to just consider for a moment what causes God offence. So we read in Romans 13, again this is Paul, there's no authority except that which God has established. It's really strong, um, uncomplicated statement. There's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. All world leaders are there by God's absolute knowledge, and actually by God's hand. So it's, the Lord has very little interest in regime change. I think that's my, I, I, it doesn't mean that it's necessarily wrong to, to, to pray for it, but it would seem to me, from just, if you read the New Testament particularly, but all through the Bible, the Lord has very little interest in regime change even when those authorities persecute his people. The Lord does not bring them down. But he will not stand for those who claim to be God. So as...
people living under a democracy, we must use the powers we've been given. Because as we've already said, democracies follow the, the, the people. And so politicians follow the people, and actually what politicians follow now is social media. The politicians are, are terrified of a, of a Twitter storm. So we have to get involved where and when we can. But more than that, we need to pray for the people, the people of our country. They're lost and they're like sheep without a shepherd. So I suggest our first prayer in this context is for revival. In other words, we pray the Lord's Prayer and we pray your kingdom come. God's kingdom can and is coming in this country and it does not require regime change. It just requires people prepared to live out and talk about their faith. God's kingdom can come and it does not require regime change. And it seems to me that the Lord is not particularly bothered about it. But we pray, nevertheless, we pray revival for people's sake because they're going to a lost eternity. But we pray for the well-being of our country and, the, and our government going forward. And our second prayer is this one of Paul, which you'll, you'll know well from 1 Timothy 2. I urge then, he says, that petitions, prayers, intercession, thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may, may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So what we pray for ourselves and for others, is that we pray for a freedom of religion. It's praying basically that we can have peaceful and quiet lives. We can live out our religion. And we pray for freedom of expression, freedom of speech. Because uh, Paul says God wants all people to come to a knowledge of the truth. So I didn't feel this morning we could apply this to ourselves before we apply it to those who are persecuted around the world. And so uh, in, in North Korea, uh, to be a Christian, the, uh, the open doors, as you see there, um, they reckon there are 400,000 Christians um, in, in North Korea. And it, it, one report by the Committee of Human Rights says detention periods have been documented as being longer for Christians than for other groups. Witnesses have reported that Christians are interrogated for longer periods <laughs> usually under torture, subjected to some of the worst forms of torture, to force them to incriminate others. So, uh, it's patriarchal society, all men must attend workplaces allocated by the government, you don't get a choice where to work, must confirm their attendance, they can't stop working for any private reason, so it makes it really hard for them to flee the country, but there is the opportunity for women um, to escape. There's mandatory 10-year military subscription, conscription rather, but that can expose whether people are connected to Christians. Christian men are held in labour camps. So in North Korea, you can, be, you can be executed on the spot um, for, for owning a Bible or for, for, for meeting a, a, as a Christian. And so here's a suggested prayer, but let's just for a moment, we'll, let's pause and let's pray for persecuted Christians around the world. We support Open Doors as a church. Um, 
So the prayers are thanks for their bravery, continued empowering for them, protecting them when they gather, and I guess protecting them where they own a Bible or they own Christ, giving them wisdom, boldness, and discernment how to express their faith, talk to other people. That's such a dangerous thing to do. And we can pray for regime change. So let's pray. Just going to leave it open for you to pray. If you want to lead us in prayer, please do that and do it as loud as you can. Father God, we thank you that there are brave Christians, our brothers and sisters in Christ in North Korea. <coughs> Please encourage them with your presence. Equip them with what they need to teach and encourage one another. Empower them to keep following you. Do pray you protect them. That you would put your angels around them. May their meetings be safe and secure. And that they would meet you where two or three gather. Just give them discernment who they can and can't talk to. And Lord, we do ask that you change the nature of the regime. We pray that there will be freedom of religion and freedom of speech. Well, that seems such a big prayer, but that's what we've seen this morning, that <clears throat> words said to you are heard. And words said to you when we gather and agree are heard by you and you act, and we pray that you will do so. In Jesus' name, amen.